Regards, and welcome to Ryan Rambles You to Rest, the podcast where I talk at length about matters of nearly no urgent need, nor heavy impact on our daily lives, in the interest of helping you there, off to a more peaceful state. I want to immediately address the elephant in the room regarding the title of this episode. I Scream Ryan Rambles You to Rest, a sleep podcast, is a podcast meant to help you relax, whether or not you are intending to assume unconsciousness, and will likely never involve excessive noise or sharp, loud sounds. Furthermore, to the uninitiated, or most often unconscious, of viewers, you may not be altogether aware that it is among my frequent fancies to pop puns or alliterate excessively through certain portions of the pod. As such, It is with this in mind that I clarify for those of you observationally adverse, to which I hold no judgment, that the title of the present pod, I Scream, does not describe a vocal violence and instead references rather cleverly the desirable dessert known in most English-speaking geographies as Ice Cream. In this episode, as a welcome to so many new listeners, I thought it might be a mild delight to start things off by reading a handful of your thoughtful and heartwarming comments in a segment I will call Rester Reflections. Then, if you are not yet lulled to La La Land, we will cool down with a hybrid segment of sorts on the summerish topic of our frozen friend ice cream. This will consist of an abridged particular ponder on the subject matter, and then an abridged how-to segment in which I will relate a recipe I have used recently to make ice cream, and in the process also read to you from the instruction manual entitled Cuisinart, colon, Instruction and Recipe Booklet. This associated with the automatic frozen yogurt hyphen ice cream ampersand sorbet maker of the catalog number ICE-21, which is the specific model that I use and have so recently enjoyed for the creation and consumption of my own homemade iced cream dessert. I would also like to thank each and all, once again, for your patience in awaiting this episode. I strive to visit with you as frequently as possible, 
but the last month has involved a series of long-planned and expected social and familial obligations, which prevented my speed at producing promptly this pod. Before we begin, I would like to recommend that you subscribe to this show on your podcast platform of choice or YouTube. For news and announcements, follow us on Instagram at Ryan Rambles Pod. Our soundtrack is by Disparition. Of course, my voice is what you will hear most during this podcast. However, I think it is important to bid a fair tip of the hat to you, dear listeners. In Rester Reflections, I will choose from recent comments on the YouTube channel and share them with you. This from no o o o o ope 420 hi ryan just wanted to say that your work has helped me and my partner greatly with sleeping thank you well i would like to say that it is my pleasure and i appreciate all of the thanks that come through the comments I chose this particular comment because I thought it was interesting that you and your partner may be listening together. I hadn't before thought much about tandem listening. I often think of the podcast as a one-on-one experience for the person trying to sleep, but I find it interesting that it can be more than one at a time. Unless, of course, the mention here is that the two of them separately listen to the podcast. But I find it interesting, and I would like to know more in the comments if some of you listen to this not just by yourself, but with others. Next reflection. This from Prophezora. Sadly, these rambles are somewhat interesting to me. LOL. Yes, truly, I must try to walk a tightrope at all times between being as dull and boring as possible for the purposes of passing out, and also interesting enough to be, well, somewhat intriguing. I feel like it's somewhere useful to us deep in the recesses of our minds even while we are unconscious. To be related information of at least medium value. 
I like to think about this podcast as not entirely fluff. But of course, we also don't want it to be so heavy that we are thinking too hard about other things. In any case, I appreciate that it can be both interesting and enough to knock you out. I will add as well that I think that it is perfectly acceptable if you choose to listen to this podcast while you are staying awake. Next reflection. This from Irene Becker 4815. I had to play this four times, starting at four different places, so I could hear the whole thing, lol. Your choices were sometimes surprising to me, but I think whole, parentheses, fried, question mark, green beans, sounds yummy. To address first the matter of green beans, this comment came through our episode about holiday food in which I talked about green beans and how there was a food truck that I used to go to many years ago that served fried green beans um, instead of or in addition to french fries and uh, they were seasoned with some kind of uh, spicy rub that made them extra tasty if you are interested in hearing more about that subject matter that is once again from the bonus episode from 2022 on holiday foods. Now, also, I do appreciate that some of you, if not many of you, will find yourselves having to restart an episode multiple times because if things are working out, you've probably passed out long before you have the opportunity to complete the episode. And as such, we'll want to go back and restart from a convenient location. This is part of my intention, of course, and I want you to know that I do try to take out as much guesswork as possible for you on YouTube, there are chapter markings, which you can skip to using the play bar on YouTube, or the timestamps that are included in the description of each episode. Those timestamps should also be available on your podcast platform of choice in the description. So hopefully you have enough to go on to remember approximately where you might have left off the last time you were listening.
next reflection. This comes from Cherise, C-H-E-R-I-X-E. I really loved this video, but there was an ad in the middle of it, and it woke me up. Are you able to put ads at the start of the vid? I would love to be able to avoid what we call mid-roll ads and only put them at the beginning if I can help it. My understanding of the situation at present is that I should be able to have more control over when ads play on YouTube once the channel reaches 1,000 subscribers. At the time of this recording, we are just south of 700, so we are on our way. Therefore, if not for the restfulness of your friends and family, encourage them to subscribe to Ryan Rambles You to Rest, a sleep podcast, too, so that you may enjoy our time with fewer ad interruptions. And so as not to end on such a technical note, one more comment from Sherry's from our Halloween bonus episode, The Best Halloween Candy. Sherry's says, My faves, Coffee Crisp, Junior Mints, Twix, Rockets. Worst, Thrills Gum, Halloween Toffee, and Candy Corn. Well, there we have another vote against Candy Corn. And I want to shout out Junior Mints. I did so recently, just a few nights ago, enjoy a picture at home with a box of Junior Mints shared amongst those of us watching the movie. They truly are one of the best. Now I thank you all who take the time to comment, review, and like this podcast. Your interest and support not only warms my heart, but helps more resters like yourselves find their way to this channel and podcast. Let us continue our journey. I will say that I am certainly and sincerely a fan of iced cream. Although I rarely partake when I am out and about, I eat it somewhat regularly in minor quantities when I have it on hand at home. My favorite ice cream parlor in San Francisco is no longer a convenient walking distance from home, and, as a result, 
it is more difficult to keep the freezer easily stocked. It's very good if you can have a cherished local ice cream parlor. Ours, called Joe's, was always a great go-to for a wide selection of what I will call relatively traditional ice creams. Yes, there are from time to time a unique flavor. But what made Joe's special to me was their delicious, creamy chocolate ice cream. And also the best strawberry ice cream I've ever had with little chunks of strawberry. Since I was a kid, I was not a big fan of strawberry ice cream. And if we ever had the three-flavored ice cream box, I would do my best to eat around it. But this ice cream parlor made a strawberry that completely changed my mind. Now, because of the distance from Joe's, and because of a specific experience of the milkshake variety, I have recently ventured into the realm of homemaking the iced cream. One of my best friends gifted upon us some time ago an ice cream maker, which, for a time, remained boxed up in our much smaller abode. There was then no room for it in the kitchen proper, which is fairly still true, but now I am more motivated to use it. And here is why. A year or two ago, the chain Shake Shack, which tends to have very tasty burgers for a chain, had a collaboration with Milk Bar's Christina Tosi to make a cereal milk ice cream shake. And I did have this shake. And it is more or less impossible for me to forget about it. It was super delicious. And on that day, in fact, we got more than one milkshake. We got another one that was not the cereal milk milkshake. And they were both so good that I have since become partially addicted to Shake Shack as a destination when we happen to be out driving. We don't have it close to our neighborhood. But if we go on a road trip, I definitely keep an eye out especially because from location to location you might see slight variations in the available shake or regional burger, depending on how far away you go. Now, because Milk Bar Cereal Milk, Cereal Milk Ice Cream, and the Shake Shack collaboration with Christina Tosi are all things that are not immediately available, neither at my nearest purveyor of ice cream, 
nor at any other major food-focused shopping chain stores, supermarkets, if you will, in my area, it became my quest to replicate or adapt the experience for myself. After all, when it comes to food, if nobody is making what you want, you can always try making it yourself. Let's begin, then, our frozen journey with a particular ponder. Although it is often a little overcast and chilly where I live, the season is certainly and surely giving way toward summertime once again here in North America. And, although I tend to believe that ice cream despite being a frozen treat, can be enjoyed at any time of year, I thought we could slink slightly into the subject matter without going all the way in depth. We may agree by the conclusion of this mini-particular ponder that we would both benefit from a full ponder together at a later time, and should remain open-minded about the possibility until that time comes. As a brief recollection to our cause, in a particular ponder, we dive deeply into the details of a specific area of interest. Although this reduces the likelihood of a real roundabout ramble, as we sometimes experience elsewhere. A particular ponder does well to focus one or two things. Unlike a really random topic or the roundup, I do a little bit of scoping this out beforehand to ensure that I get only the dullest value for you. Now then, I have decided to lift a list of particular portions on the subject matter of ice cream from the main article at wikipedia.org. We begin now with the top-level summary on ice cream. Ice cream is a frozen dessert typically made from milk or cream, and flavored with a sweetener, either sugar or an alternative, and a spice such as cocoa or vanilla, or with fruit such as strawberries or peaches. Well, right there we got the three main food groups of ice cream with chocolate, vanilla, and strawberries. And then definitely I would say a little bit of a left turn with peaches. I don't think peaches would even make a list of ice cream for me if I were to name ice cream flavors. I might have gone from fruit such as strawberry and then to say herbs such as mint. 
it can also be made by whisking a flavored cream base and liquid nitrogen together. I see that a lot on cooking shows where they have to make ice cream very quickly. Food coloring is sometimes added in addition to stabilizers. The mixture is cooled below the freezing point of water and stirred to incorporate air spaces and to prevent detectable ice crystals from forming. The result is a smooth, semi-solid foam that is solid at very low temperatures, below 2 degrees centigrade or 35 degrees Fahrenheit. It becomes more malleable as its temperature increases. The meaning of the name ice cream varies from one country to another. In some countries, such as the United States, ice cream applies only to a specific variety, and most governments regulate the commercial use of the various terms according to the relative quantities of the main ingredients, notably the amount of cream. Products that do not meet the criteria to be called ice cream are sometimes labeled, quote, frozen dairy dessert instead. In other countries, such as Italy and Argentina, one word is used for all variants. Analogs made from dairy alternatives, such as goat's or sheep's milk, or milk substitutes, e.g. soy, cashew, coconut, almond milk, or tofu, are available for those who are lactose intolerant, allergic to dairy protein, or vegan. I will add for my own part that I appreciate this. As I have gotten older, I have developed a degree of lactose intolerance, which affects me most notably at the consumption of ice cream. I can sometimes survive various cheeses and pizza, but ice cream is almost certainly a dangerous decision no matter what. So having these alternatives, I think, is perfectly acceptable. Although I don't usually have one on hand, I can say that there are some out there of these non-dairy frozen treats that are pretty good and can satisfy at least my craving to enjoy ice cream. Few of them reach that creaminess, tastiness of the milk-based, cream-based dessert. But when it comes to being good on your stomach and not having to wake up in the middle of the night, for example, suddenly in the middle of a podcast, 
then maybe for you one of these substitutes is good to have on hand. Ice cream may be served with other desserts, such as apple pie, or as an ingredient in ice cream floats, sundaes, milkshakes, ice cream cakes, and baked items, such as baked Alaska. Now, I should say that if we were on a deeper dive particular ponder, that there are hyperlinks for each of these subcategories for ice cream floats, sundaes, milkshakes, and ice cream cakes. I definitely feel as though it would be dangerous for us at this time to chase down that rabbit hole, but with the reminder that we may return, it's good to take note of these things along the way. Sort of like going for a good hike. You might take the main trail one day, but notice that there are splinter paths that look interesting or might take you to an exciting view that you just don't have time on this particular hike to enjoy. Now I do find it interesting that they mention Baked Alaska as a very specific example. I don't know if there are other baked ice cream foods, and perhaps that's something I can look into. But perhaps the author thought the mention a good example because it stands so distinctly as a dish apart from the other examples. As I alluded earlier, I have been rather busy of late, and one of the reasons was in fact a trip to Alaska of the cruise ship variety. A baked Alaska-themed dessert was available at dinner times through the dining room on board the boat. But I did not myself partake. In fact, I should also confess that I did not once take advantage of the fancy-looking gelato shop on one of the ship's decks. As a fan of ice cream, I should say I am somewhat embarrassed and furthermore, because I did only once or twice even take advantage of the ever-available soft-serve ice cream as well. But of these varieties, I have to say that maybe one of my favorites as a kid was the float, although the sundae is also really good. But the float gives you kind of that sugar bomb that as a kid can be so exciting. You have soda and ice cream. And I think on some levels I did appreciate the two forms of ice cream. Having ice cream as a solid, having ice cream as a liquid. You know, the upside to having ice cream in a bowl is that you end up with the, you know, leftover ice cream milk 
similar to enjoying a bowl of cereal and having that cereal milk left over. Next, we get into some deeper history to talk about early frozen desserts. The origins of frozen desserts are obscure. Although several accounts exist about their history, some sources describe ice cream-like foods as originating in Persia as far back as 550 BC. Using ice houses and ice pools, Persians were able to serve and produce falude and sorbets all year round. Now that is pretty interesting that the frozen dessert as we know it has roots going back 2,500 years. It's interesting too to think that there's something that we generally regard as a treat and not a necessity as being shared as far back in time as that. A Roman cookbook dating back to the first century includes recipes for sweet desserts that are sprinkled with snow. That is certainly interesting. There are Persian records from the second century for sweetened drinks chilled with ice. Although that sounds like it could be just about anything. A cold, icy, refreshing beverage can be a, a soda. There are Tang Dynasty records of a chilled dessert made with flour, camphor, and water buffalo milk. Kakigori was a Japanese dessert using ice and flavored syrup, which sounds a little like a snow cone. The origins of kakigori date back to the Heian period in Japanese history. When blocks of ice saved during the colder months would be shaved and served with sweet syrup to Japanese aristocracy during the summer. Kakigori's origin is referred to in the Pillow Book, a book of observations written by Sai Shonogon, who served the imperial court during the Heian period. The earliest known written process to artificially make ice is known not from culinary texts, but the 13th century writings of Arab historian Ibn Abi Yusabiya in his book, Book of Sources of Information on the Classes of Physicians. Concerning medicine, 
in which Ibn Abu Yusabiya attributes the process to an even older author, Ibn Bakhtawai, of whom nothing is known. So if we can excuse momentarily my brutal mangling of these Arab names, what we're getting here is that there are 13th century writings that reference even older writings by authors who we do not know about time periods we are uncertain of. So it's interesting here, we see definitely from these several paragraphs the possibility of going all the way back to 550 BC and then as recently as the 13th century from this Arab historian. Now that's almost 1800 years of space to consider where the true origins of ice cream come from or to debate, and that's, a, that's almost 2,000 years. Ice cream production became easier with the discovery of the endothermic effect. Prior to this, ice cream could be chilled easily but not frozen. It was the addition of salt that lowered the melting point of ice, which had the effect of drawing heat from the ice cream and allowing it to freeze. Now that's super interesting, isn't it? That there's the sort of scientific discovery that brought it all together. That there were these factors that were keeping ice cream itself from being a super viable delight. And once we figured out that an amount of salt would make it physically possible to exist in a certain state, we managed to push things forward in the crucial technology of ice cream. I'm guessing that that's why you do put salt in ice cream, why there is ice cream salt. Um, I don't have any right now, and so if I remember correctly, I've just added some regular salt, but, you know, each salt, you know, that is described in a recipe, salt is one of those things that you should follow as specifically as you can even when it's not baking. So I imagine that ice cream salt is purpose-built, so to speak, for the purposes of ice cream. And I didn't know until reading this that it had to do with how the ice cream is frozen and not so much about what we normally think of salt as being useful for, which is you know, enhancing the flavor of usually a savory dish. It is amazing how much scientific things are behind all of the 
things that we do to prepare food. And there truly is a wealth of ice cream info in this article. And again, since this is a mini particular ponder, I am next going to read just two important paragraphs from the section on, quote, expansion in popularity, which really does tell us quite a lot about modern ice cream culture. These particular paragraphs cover a couple of my favorite topics. Ice cream soda was invented in the 1870s, adding to ice cream's popularity. The invention of this cold treat is attributed to American Robert Greene in 1874, although there is no conclusive evidence to prove this claim. The ice cream sundae originated in the late 19th century. Several men claim to have created the first sundae, but there is no conclusive evidence to support any of their stories. Some sources say that the sundae was invented to circumvent blue laws, which forbade serving sodas on Sunday. Towns claiming to be the birthplace of the sundae include Buffalo, Two Rivers, Ithaca, and Evanston. Both the ice cream cone and banana split became popular in the early 20th century. The first mention of the cone being used as an edible receptacle for the ice cream is in Mrs. A.B. Marshall's Book of Cookery of 1888. Her recipe for cornet with cream said that the cornets were made with almonds and baked in the oven, not pressed between irons. The ice cream cone was popularized in the U.S. at the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis, Missouri. Now, ice cream soda, ice cream sundae, ice cream cone, you know, these are essential ways of experiencing ice cream, if not regularly, at least on occasion. I think the last ice cream soda I had, I might have made at home. And I can't remember the last time I had an ice cream sundae. They're really a bit of an undertaking. If I'm honest, I'd tend to prefer small quantities of ice cream when I have it, so... I wouldn't say that I often have the cause to eat an ice cream sundae because it's usually so much ice cream and then so much other stuff. But sometimes you have to indulge. I feel like I could probably make like a timer or an alarm that would go off when it's been like 
six months since I've had one, and then I can say, well, it's time to have a, it's time to have a Sunday. Maybe we need a Sunday alarm. Now, the ice cream cone, I can say for sure I've had more recently. I just had one a few weeks ago. And I like having ice cream cones at home, although I have not been recently keeping cones around. If you don't store your cones in an airtight container, they will go stale almost instantaneously. So you need to think about that when you get the cones. And I don't know what kind of cones I like the most. I think I've gotten in the habit of keeping the, you know, just straight cone-shaped sugar cones at home. They make me think of sort of missiles that can take down airplanes that make too much noise. And I'm not super sure what my favorite type of cone is. We've tended to keep the pointy sugar cones around. But I do also like the more cup-shaped ones that have the rim with holes in it and then the bottom that has the those like slots. They have slots throughout the cone and that tends to catch the ice cream as it melts and gives you these little pockets of ice cream, uh, melty ice cream. And I know as a kid that was definitely my preference. But today I like the sugar cone, which tends to stay more resiliently solid throughout the experience of eating the cone. And if you have the time on your hands or the forethought when you are making an ice cream cone at home, you can also make sure to put uh, some liquid chocolate in the bottom. You can melt some chocolate and get it down there in the bottom of the cone so you have a chocolatey treat when you get through all the ice cream. Next, I thought it relevant to our following focus after this segment of exploring the creation of our own ice cream that I should read a somewhat sciencey section on the composition of ice cream. And I expect to fully mangle a few words in here as well. Ice cream is a colloidal emulsion made with water, ice, milk fat, milk protein, sugar, and air. Water and fat have the highest proportions by weight, creating an emulsion that has dispersed phase as fat globules. The emulsion is turned into foam by incorporating air cells which are frozen to form dispersed ice cells. The tricylglycerols in fat are nonpolar and will adhere to themselves by van der Waals interactions. 
Water is polar, thus emulsifiers are needed for dispersion of fat. Also, ice cream has a colloidal phase of foam which helps in its light texture. Milk proteins such as cassian and whey protein present in ice cream are amphiphilic, can absorb water and form micelles, which will contribute to its consistency. The proteins contribute to the emulsification, aeration, and texture. Sucrose, which is disaccharide, is usually used as a sweetening agent. Lactose, which is sugar present in milk, will cause freezing point depression. Thus, on freezing, some water will remain unfrozen and will not give a hard texture. Too much lactose will result in a non-ideal texture because of either excessive freezing point depression or lactose crystallization. Now, I will say that I don't fully understand all of that, but I do find it interesting that the way that ice cream works sort of scientifically is within a very delicate space, which is maybe what contributes to what may be perceived by us as good or better ice cream, that it's not precisely or only the recipe itself with regard to flavor, but that there's also a kind of scientific side to executing the ice cream. That there are certain balances that make chemistries possible to make an ideal balance of creaminess and frozenness and that those things are somewhat independent from flavor. Of course, they contribute, but they're more to do with the texture of the ice cream. And I will perhaps say at this point that if there's anything that is not particularly ideal about the homemade variety that I've done is some of these, I think, chemical balances. Even if the flavor is spot on, the creaminess being in the right place, either at creation or down the road if it's a few days later, isn't necessarily always ideal. But that shouldn't discourage us from trying or continuing to try and try out different recipes. Now, because we intend to press forward with our own creation, or discuss our own creations, I will read the section of food safety concerns in this Wikipedia article, and hopefully this will not frighten either of us. From the perspective of food chemistry, Ice cream is a colloid or foam, which we've previously learned. The dietary emulsifier plays an important role in ice cream. 
soy lecithin or polysorbate are two popular emulsifiers used for ice cream production. A mouse study in 2015 shows that two commonly used dietary emulsifiers, and here's a doozy, carboxymethylcellulose, or CMC, and polysorbate 80, that's P80 if you're in the know, can potentially cause inflammatory bowel diseases, weight gain, and other metabolic syndromes. And that concludes the food safety section. I will say for my own end of relief that that was quite a lot shorter than I think it could have been given the fatty, sugary treat that ice cream is. But that means, I suppose, that it is relatively safe compared to probably some of the other foods that I eat on occasion. And as I have said, I tend to enjoy ice cream in some level of moderation. Well, I feel we have substantially broadened our knowledge of the creamy confection known broadly as ice cream. I suppose it is somewhat less humble than I imagined at the outset of our journey. It is worth mentioning that we have skipped several interesting sections that could make returning to this topic for a proper particular ponder worth all of our whiles. Let me know if you would be interested in more on ice cream. Have you learned something you did not know about ice cream? Let me know in the comments. I will also kindly ask that if you appreciate this particular ponder segment, that you consider a modest donation to wikipedia.org, which survives by the generous contributions of folks like you and me, who treasure the vast wealth of human knowledge that wikipedia.org keeps at our fingertips at all times. Our human race, over so many generations, has engaged in few practices for so long as the manipulation of earthly resources for nutritional and pleasureful ends. And yet, even in some of our recent visits together, we have learned just how recently many of our cherished food experiences have developed. Perhaps because of this, a lot of things about preparing food are mystifying to me. I tend to assume that anything I think is truly amazing has some kind of either difficult modern method behind it, or else an arcane technique passed down from generation to generation by some clandestine means. Because of this, I often shy away from even looking up a recipe. 
In reality, and especially today, this could not be further from the truth. There are more specific instruments for cooking available to home cooks than ever. And now we all have at our fingertips the internet, a means to access recipes, and often many variations on just one, from around the world and from people who truly have had their recipes passed down for generations. We aren't reliant on just one Betty Crocker cookbook, or whatever multitude of heavy cookbooks by single individual chefs or restaurants. I can think of only one recipe that I have never been able to find on the internet and have always put off trying to make it from memory myself. I had a rolled noodle soup in Bangkok, in Chinatown, that was truly outstanding. I had to eat it twice, I thought it was so good. It had a relatively light broth that was extremely peppery, like peppercorn flavor. It was a little sour, and it had noodles rolled into tubes and meatballs. It was served with a side of crispy pork belly, which was also an option to have in the soup, and I did have it in the soup the second time. It's honestly one of the best I've ever had, and specifically the meatball version with the pork belly on the side. And I've looked this recipe up several times. It's been a little while since the last time, but it was even difficult for me to locate. We have a lot of Thai restaurants in San Francisco, and... One of the things I tried to do from the beginning was look it up, see if it was just locally available, and I could eat it here again and, you know, work back from there. Unfortunately, what I discovered was that the particular Bangkok variety of the soup that I had in Chinatown is a more esoteric version of the soup and that often the most common version of it uh, which I think is like guay chop something like that there's so many different spellings because Thai doesn't translate super well to English but I found it on a few menus and only a few and it was only this other version. This other version is a much heartier soup. It has a lot more ingredients to it and a darker broth, from what I understand. And the ingredients are a multitude of things, including um, some forms of offal that I'm not super big on. It may be delicious, but it is a fundamentally different soup than the one that I had. It's a little bit like the different kinds of pho that you can get. You know, there's southern-style pho from southern Vietnam, and then there's the pho from northern Vietnam. And Northern pho is lighter, 
uh, and you know tends to be served with fewer ingredients. If I was to make a comparison, I would say it's like northern pho compared to bun bo hui, which is the spicy everything but the kitchen sink soup from uh, the middle of the country. And I don't know if that's super relatable here, but, you know, maybe think about the difference between a regular Campbell's chicken noodle soup and then something that you might make at home that's full of veggies and other good things, that there's just a difference in thickness, a difference in hardiness. And this one that I wanted to recreate is very light. Um, and, and part of the reason why the lightness is so good is because in this case, when I had it, it was super hot out and very humid in Bangkok. So this hot soup with the hot day kind of worked pretty well because the soup itself had a light consistency. And it was, again, just super delicious. Um, and believe me, if I am able to either find it again in that form to eat, or if I finally try to make it, I will definitely report back to you. I have done some amount of attempting to get the components for the recipe in my head. Um, I did the groundwork of finding the correct noodles to use, um, and I have found a brand or type of vegetarian or non-meat meatball that I like that has um, a, you know, a Asian theme to it. It doesn't taste like an Italian meatball, um, which I think I would use to start off if I was trying to make this, because I'm not sure that I could make the meatball myself. Um, and I imagine it would take quite a lot of trial and error to get it right. Maybe from talking about it this time, I might get back on the horse. But, uh, but I digress, obviously. We are actually here to talk about ice cream and not a spicy Thai noodle soup. So, let's get into a couple of how-to segments. This recipe is the first one I get whenever I Google cereal milk ice cream. I googled cereal milk ice cream probably over a hundred times before I ever made the effort to make it. Because of the Christina Tozzi collaboration with Shake Shack, I was addicted to the idea of this ice cream. It has kind of one of those qualities to me that is similar to why 
cookie dough ice cream is exciting or birthday cake ice cream. Like they kind of have those flavors that were kind of the special treat around the edges from childhood. The like cake batter, the cookie dough, and the cereal milk. I imagine I am not alone when I say that, at least for my generation, the cereal milk at the end of a good bowl of cereal was always a treat. I didn't grow up with especially sweet cereal on the regular, but even the more lightly sweetened cereal still turned out a good milk. When it came to the sweet stuff, I, I think pops or corn pops were my favorite. And I have learned since, or I was always sort of vaguely aware, that there was a move to lower the amount of additional sugars in breakfast cereals. So, for sure, between the time when I was a kid and now, the cereals are actually a little bit different and better for you. Now, I didn't, I didn't have corn pops very often. They were something that was a bit of a treat, I think. You know, they were the ones that would be, you know, in the cafeteria if my dad took me there at the university where he taught, or they'd appear somewhere on vacation. We didn't have a box of it at home. And so, for me, sugary cereals were something that were like ice cream kind of a treat that I didn't have constant access to. And I think for the most part that's a good thing. Now back to this uh, recipe here. Um, this is a recipe from Julie of lovelylittlekitchen.com and if you want to read along with the recipe as I go through it, I might skip some of the flavor. And it isn't an exceptionally in-depth recipe. You can go to lovelylittlekitchen.com forward slash homemade hyphen cereal hyphen milk hyphen ice hyphen cream forward slash and once again this is the top result whenever I google when I eventually overcame my fear of making the ice cream part of what helped me through the door was the simplicity of Julie's recipe it is super basic and I had taken the time to research other recipes, and they were in all sorts of degrees of discouraging difficulty. There were even some from former Milk Bar employees, and they were, to me, restaurant-level difficulty. A lot of them started with creating your own cereal milk, and then some other processes of 
toasting the cereal and all kinds of things. Things that, you know, are why a restaurant might have a better version than what you're used to at home. But Julie's recipe at Lovely Little Kitchen is very simple, and I cannot recommend it enough. So I won't cover too much of Julie's preamble. The short version is that she posted this recipe out of inspiration of the beginning of summer, as is about the time of this recording of the podcast. We have that in common. And she likes to make homemade ice cream at this time. And she says that she was inspired by seeing Christina Tosi on Chef's Table, uh, where she learned about, you know, the milk bar bakery and cereal milk ice cream, and thus resolved to try this out. I would say that if she had had the experience as well of having the milkshake that I have, then her particular uh, passion to try this ice cream out would be even stronger. But the good news is that maybe she was able to make it more simply because she didn't have the, the shared mania. I will now read part of her explanation of the recipe. Cereal milk ice cream is made just like regular homemade ice cream. With cream, milk, and sugar, except before you churn it, you steep cereal in the creamy mixture overnight. What you are left with is a glorified Hello Cream and Sugar version of the cereal milk you find at the bottom of your bowl each morning after breakfast. And it really is kind of that simple in terms of both what you do and why you do it. She says the soggy cereal is strained out and the cereal-flavored cream mixture is churned into ice cream. The result is beyond amazing and a little hard to describe. This is one of those times where pictures really don't help me explain how wonderful this recipe is. And if I could put on a little hairnet and hand out samples at the grocery store or on the street corner, I would gladly offer you some to try. I should add that, in fairness, the photographs that Julie has chosen here are actually quite appetizing. She has the ice cream, which truly isn't anything special to look at, but she has those cup-style cones and has done a cereal rim on the cone to make it look extra cool, and it does look extra cool. And she says, I guess you're going to have to trust me on this one and either fly to New York for the real thing, or make some yourself. 
Now, I would add that I was fortunate enough to have the crossover at Shake Shack, which is what brought me here. Now, she points out that the milk bar ice cream uh, cereal milk is made with cornflakes, and that she used Captain Crunch. Now, what I can add from my experience is that I went to Frosted Flakes as my guess, knowing that it was in between cornflakes and a more sugary cereal. And, you know, she says she likes the sweetness that it added. Uh, I found it to be a bit of a punch of sugar, and I did serve it to guests the first time, and I think they found it a little too sweet as well. So my recommendation, after now having tried it twice, is that you would cut down on the sugar and you, but use a sugary cereal. So now we get to the recipe card. And once again, this is homemade cereal milk ice cream. And the prep time is 10 minutes. The total time is 10 minutes and the yield is five cups. Um, it's important to remember that you will be steeping the cereal in the milk overnight, so the, the prep time is technically longer. Now, I can also not speak to the accuracy of this, but I did read some of the other recipes that only steeped their cereal milk for a couple of hours. And I, I have not yet tried that. I've only done this overnight method. And I do think it works fine overnight. In a pinch, I would consider trying it with a shorter steep with the two or three hours. Um, it might just be a little bit like some things that, like a pizza dough where, you know, you can let it proof for a much longer period of time than you need to just to be able to eat it. So what I mean to say is that I would be willing to do the short version if I didn't have a lot of time and I wanted to have it for guests say, on a given day, I wouldn't say, oh, you know, I need to do this overnight, so it's not an option. I think that I would take the risk and maybe not skim as much sugar. I'm, I'm not sure what I would adjust differently, but I wouldn't give up on it, is what I'm trying to say. I don't think you would need to give up on the, on the whole thing. So then there is the recipe ingredients. And here we have two cups of heavy cream, one cup whole milk, three quarters cup granulated sugar, quarter teaspoon salt, 
half teaspoon vanilla extract, two cups cereal, and and that's about it. I will more or less paraphrase the specifics of the instructions, um, which will lead us into the ice cream maker, which is the second part of this journey, and walk you through how I've done this recipe, but encourage you to use Julie's recipe at lovelylittlekitchen.com if you choose to make this yourself. It's a good reference, and it's the least complicated one available. So you know that you need to steep the cereal, and, you know, the amount of which you use is up to you. The recipe has suggestions. What I use is one of those individual cereal cups that you can get at the store. They're basically just one serving of cereal. And so that's what I grab. I'll grab, you know, if it's, if Frosted Flakes is there, that's what I grab. But you can use just about anything. And in the case of uh, this most recent time that we made it, my partner wanted a cinnamon toast crunch experience because that's one of her favorite cereals. So what we did was we bought the cereal and then... I steeped the frosted flakes in the cream and the milk overnight. And truth be told, I think I might have steeped it over two nights. So again, why I would be interested in trying out the only a few hours method and see if it makes a difference. So after it's steeped, you're going to want to strain it because you don't want the, the cereal anymore. It's gone soggy and it won't be any good in your ice cream. So strain it. Use a good strainer. Try to avoid getting too many bits of cereal into your ice cream. And then at that point, because we knew... We had made the decision to do a cinnamon toast crunch type of experience. We added some cinnamon. Then per Julie's instructions, you switch over. Now that you have your milk mixture and you follow the instructions that come with your ice cream maker. And we're going to turn over to that portion in just a minute here. But before we do... I want to say that we have not mastered the art of adding ingredients to the cream. And we tried just pouring in the pieces of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And unfortunately, I would say that A, the Cinnamon Toast Crunch cereal, the dry cereal, um 
gummed up the works a little bit with the ice cream maker. It still functioned and it still made the ice cream, but I'm not sure that it did the best job it could at aerating. And also, after the fact, um, you know, after that f sort of first go at it, um, the cereal itself, although frozen into the ice cream over time, became kind of um, uh, soggy. So it's sort of like soggy cereal inside of ice cream. And I wouldn't recommend it. It's still super tasty, and I haven't finished the batch yet. And frankly, after this recording, we'll probably have some, because we've been talking about it so much. But I would caution to you that if you want something chunky or crispy in your cereal milk ice cream to give you that feeling of having cereal in there that you figure out something that is a little bit more resilient than the cereal in question. You might need to think a little bit outside the box. And indeed, if I make the ice cream again before the next time we have a visit, I'll report back on if I've learned anything new. So, we will move on here in a moment. I want to just shout out again a thank you to Julie and LovelyLittleKitchen.com for inspiring me to try to make this recipe to track down how to make cereal milk ice cream. And this is definitely the best beginner recipe because it will get you there without having to try too many weird things. And I promise you, if you look at other recipes, they're far more complicated. And um, there is some of that um, appreciation in the comments um, that recognize that this is a pretty good recipe. And uh, I think so. Now that we have gone through the basics of what I should say is a very basic recipe, once we get down to it, we can move on to the more complicated part of making this delicious cereal milk ice cream. Operating the ice cream maker. For indeed, an ice cream maker is a serious and high-tech contraption of the home cooking variety. It is rather large and intrusive. Our particular model, the ICE-21, is from Cuisinart, and, as such, looks relatively similar to the food processor by Cuisinart you may be familiar with or have at home yourself. Of course, this is a different sort of food processor, 
and you would be well advised. Without the need for the instruction manual, not to use it for your day-to-day -day food processing needs. The result would probably be remarkably undesirable, both in the turnout for the food itself and the condition it would leave your Cuisinart ICE 21 ice cream maker in. I will now commence the reading of the Cuisinart colon instruction and recipe booklet, which goes with the automatic frozen yogurt hyphen ice cream ampersand sorbet maker of the catalog number ICE hyphen 21. Now I should like to note at the top that this instruction booklet, if you get it with your ice cream maker, is very thick. And the reason it's very thick is because I believe it has multiple languages. You can, in fact, flip it over and read it from the other cover in a different language. And it has an extensive number of ice cream recipes to start you off. And in that regard, it's definitely um, one of the more useful instruction booklets you might find out there because it has all of these recipes. I definitely would say that I appreciate when an appliance comes with recipes even if I don't really use them very often, and I'm using somebody else's recipe on the internet, like the ice cream recipe from earlier for cereal milk, I like having a series of what I assume are tested recipes that I know that there is a non-winging it version that can be made with the device I have that was prepared at least one time with the device that I have. And so, for example, if you find someone's recipe online and you wonder if your device works well with it, you can look at other recipes in the book in the instruction booklet and see where maybe it might be a good idea to make a substitution or something like that. Now in this case I didn't feel like I had to do that because in this case the recipe that I was using recommended the very ice cream maker we are about to read about. And I think that this amount of preamble is probably not super necessary because there are only a couple of pages. If you have been listening to this podcast to date, you would know that we have done a couple of instruction manuals so far. 
The very first episode included a coffee grinder, the Bodum Bistro electric coffee grinder, which I am pleased to say is still to this day in service. And then we also have attempted and begun to go through the instruction manual for the Kobo Clara HDE reader by Rakuten. And I have not yet finished reading that one in the podcast. We have done three or two. You see, this is how long it's been. I have recorded three at the very least, I think. And that instruction book is forever long, is what it feels like. It's an epic. I think it was close to 80 pages, and we were going through pretty much every single page. And I am pleased to also report that the Kobo Clara HD e-reader in question is also still in operation. And that device I purchased two years ago. So still happy, still use it, cannot recommend it enough. And if you are hearing this and you were a fan of the Kobo e-reader instruction segments, Definitely let me know in the comments, because if I'm honest, I find reading instructions a little bit less engaging than some of the other sections or segments that we do that provide me with a little bit more basis to ramble and a mental journey to sort of think about. But if your jam is the sort of dry reading of a manual that we have tried out a couple of times, please let me know. So the Cuisinart Instruction and Recipe Booklet of this automatic frozen yogurt hyphen ice cream ampersand sorbet maker ICE21 booklet. I will note that on the cover there is a an instruction at the very beginning that says, for your safety and continued enjoyment of this product, always read the instruction book carefully before using. Now, I will say that this is a pretty simple device, and so I wouldn't take that particular recommendation to heart. I don't think that you would have to always read this book before using the ice cream maker. So one thing that is immediately 
slightly confusing about the instruction book is that when you open it, on your left is page 2 and on your right is page 3. That's relatively normal. And it is in a two columns per page format. And if you hold the book open and you have page 2 on your left and page 3 on your right, then the table of contents is the third column. It is the first column on the page that's facing you when you open. But what is peculiar about this format is that the table of contents references sections that have already occurred in the page order. So I will start intuitively by reading the table of contents, but then I will proceed from what is the beginning of the book. So the table of contents say, on page 2 we have important safeguards, page 3 features and benefits, also on page 3 before using for the first time, page 4 freezing time and bowl preparation. In fact, several of these are page four. I will just read the page four list. Freezing time and bowl preparation. Making frozen desserts. Adding ingredients. Safety feature, singular. Cleaning, storage, and maintenance. And finally, warranty, which is the only item on page five. So from the beginning, you can see we have only five pages to cover. Beginning with important safeguards. When using an electrical appliance, basic safety precautions should always be followed to reduce the risk of fire, electric shock, and or injury, including the following. And what follows are 13 items. No small list. Number one, in bold and all caps. Read all instructions before using. Number two, no longer bold, no longer caps. To protect against risk of electric shock, do not place cord, plug, or base of appliance in water or any other liquid. So if you have a cheese sauce or motor oil in your kitchen, avoid them. Item three. Close supervision is necessary when any appliance is used by or near children. That feels like a good instruction, given this is an ice cream maker. Item four. All bold. No caps, or 
note not all caps. Always unplug from outlet when not in use, before putting on or taking off parts, and before cleaning. I believe I've mostly followed that. Number five, no bold. Avoid contact and moving parts. Keep hands, hair, and clothing, as well as spatulas and other utensils, away during operation to reduce the risk of injury and or damage to the appliance. I have not perfectly followed this instruction. As I said, the cinnamon toast crunch did create some blockage. Number six, do not operate any appliance with a damaged cord or plug or after the appliance malfunctions or is dropped or damaged in any manner. Return the appliance to the nearest Cuisinart Repair Center for examination, repair electrical, or mechanical adjustment. Number seven. The use of attachments not recommended by Cuisinart may cause fire, electric shock, or risk of injury. I wonder if there is a true aftermarket for Cuisinart ice cream makers. It's probably safe to say that this is boilerplate Cuisinart instructions for safety. Eight, do not use outdoors. So only make ice cream inside. Nine, do not let cord hang over edge of table or counter or touch hot surfaces. All things considered, that could have been split into two items, but we'll, we'll go ahead. Part 10. Keep hands and utensils out of freezer bowl while in use to reduce the risk of injury to persons or to the appliance itself all caps bold, middle of paragraph. Do not use sharp objects or utensils inside the freezer bowl, exclamation point. Back to normal. Sharp objects will scratch and damage the inside of the freezer bowl. A rubber spatula or wooden spoon may be used when the appliance is in the off position. This appliance is for household use. Any servicing other than cleaning and user maintenance should be done only by authorized Cuisinart repair personnel. 12. Do not use the freezer bowl on flames, hot plates, or stoves. Do not expose to heat source. Do not wash in dishwasher. Doing so may cause risk of fire, electric shock, or injury. I suppose if we were here to provide 
feedback, I would say that the top-level concern in that particular thing is to not put it in the dishwasher. I would have started with that because I don't imagine many people, and of course these instructions exist, would be taking their freezer bowl that they have stored in the freezer to make ice cream and put it on hot flames, hot plates, or stoves. But I could imagine that almost anyone might make the mistake of putting it in the dishwasher. When you're finished with the process of making the ice cream, you're kind of left with a baked-on, almost like flash-frozen onto the sides of cream that's essentially freezer-burnt onto the bowl. And it's not friendly to get off, so I could see why somebody would put it in the dishwasher. 13. Do not operate your appliance in an appliance, garage, or under a wall cabinet. Um, I'm not sure what an appliance garage is. I guess that is a place that you would store appliances. And under a wall cabinet, I guess a cabinet that's on the wall. I think the gist of this is they're saying that you want to have an open space above the appliance. Although I'm not positive why that's super essential, other than you pour the cream into it from the top. Now with bold again, but not all caps. When storing in an appliance garage, always unplug the unit from the electrical outlet. Which, you know, it was said significantly earlier on to unplug it when not in use. Now no longer in bold. Not doing so could create a risk of fire, especially if the appliance touches the walls of the garage or the door touches the unit as it closes. And I'm guessing a, from this an appliance garage is not where appliances park their cars. So on to column two, page two, if you are reading along. All caps, save these instructions. For household use only. This is a section. Notice. This appliance has a polarized plug. One blade is wider than the other. To reduce the risk of electric shock, this plug will fit in a polarized outlet only one way. If the plug does not fit fully in the outlet, reverse the plug. If it still does not fit, contact a qualified electrician. Do not attempt to defeat this safety feature. I don't know. That is a bit of an interesting wording because the word defeat does kind of call into the, you know, the mind a challenge 
something to be defeated. And I'm thinking, you know, what would you do? File it down, maybe? I do not endorse defeating the safety features on your ICE-21 Cuisinart ice cream maker. so that we are all on the same page, which is, by the way, page two. Next is the special cord set instructions. A short power supply cord is provided to reduce the risks resulting from becoming entangled in or tripping over a longer cord. Longer extension cords may be used if care is exercised in their use. If a long, polarized extension cord is used, the marked electrical rating on the extension cord should be at least as great as the electrical rating of the appliance. And the longer cord should be arranged so that it does not drape over the countertop or tabletop where it can be pulled on by children, or animals, or tripped over. Now I also feel like the unspoken follow-up to that is that you should not keep it plugged in and put it in a appliance garage. Now. A few bullets of caution, caution in all caps, as though we have not been warned thus far. Bullet one, do not immerse base in water. Bullet two, to reduce the risk of fire or electric shock, do not disassemble the base. Note. The base does not contain any user serviceable parts. So I guess it would not be in any of our interests to open the base of the ICE-21 ice cream maker. Repair should be made only by authorized personnel. Check voltage to be sure that the voltage indicated on the nameplate agrees with your voltage. Never clean with scouring powders or hard implements. And that makes sense to me. This is something where you can tell from the design that you want to keep that smoothness. Like you would a good nonstick pan. So this was page two, and we've already gone through the first column of page three because that was the table of contents. Now we move on to the fun stuff. We've been through the, uh, the fear and the, uh, the warnings. Now let's get into the fun. Features and benefits, and there are nine of them. So this is, this is the good stuff. Here we go. Number one, ingredient spout. 
Now this is the top of the main circular part of the container, and so I think personally that spout is a little bit of a weird word because I think of a spout in a, you know, famous tea kettle kind of way. But here you, as it says here, pour recipe ingredients through the spout. Also, use to add ingredients like chips or nuts without interrupting the freezing cycle. So to describe this, the top of the device is wide open, basically. Um, you have this plastic clear safety container that goes around the freezer bowl and the mixer. Um, and the mixer is a free-floating device. It doesn't attach to anything. It just sits inside of the bowl, which turns. It's actually kind of fun to watch. So, number two, easy lock lid. This is where the spout is featured. It's transparent to let you watch the freezing process as it progresses. Lid is designed to easily lock to the base. Three, and this is the new, all caps, mixing paddle. Mixes and aerates ingredients in freezer bowl to create frozen desserts or drinks. It's hard to describe. There's a ring at the top. There's a, basically a sort of bladed bottom that scrapes along the bottom. And then there's this corkscrew sort of bit in the center that kind of works its way through the center of the mass of the cream. Four is the freezer bowl. This contains a cooling liquid between a double insulated wall to create fast and even freezing. Double wall keeps the bowl cool and at an even temperature. And this is what, you know, we'll read about this, but this is the, the main technology is this freezer bowl with the liquid inside. And now five is the base. Contains heavy-duty motor, strong enough to handle ice cream, frozen yogurt, sherbet, sorbet, and frozen drinks. Feature number six is the on-off switch, and it is prominently featured on the front of the device, similar to the big buttons that you would be used to with another Cuisinart. Seven, and this is not shown, are the rubber feet. Non-slip feet keep base stationary during use. Very helpful, because the motor is actually pretty strong, and it's working through this, spinning this bowl for the ice cream, and without those rubber feet, that thing might just slide all over the countertop. Number eight, not shown, is cord storage. Unused cord is easily pushed into the base to keep counters neat and safe. And then number nine, not shown, BPA-free. All materials that come in contact with food are BPA-free. Um, now, it would appear that I was wrong about the warnings, because 
they didn't get enough in the first page. They needed to give us another one, all caps, before using for the first time. Do not, all caps. Now, now regular. Immerse the motor base in water. I feel like we were told that pretty recently. Wipe it with a moist cloth. Wash the lid, freezer bowl, and mixing arm in warm, soapy water to remove any dust or residue from the manufacturing and shipping process. Do not clean any of the parts with abrasive cleaners or hard implements. Well, that's just good advice on its own that if you get a new appliance, you should clean it before you use it. Now we move on to page four, which, if you remember, is sort of the, the meat of the whole thing. Freezing time and bowl preparation. The freezer bowl must be completely frozen before you begin your recipe. Before freezing, wash and dry the bowl. The length of time needed to reach the frozen state depends on how cold your freezer is. It is recommended that you place the freezer bowl in the back of your freezer where it is coldest. And to be fair, so that you don't have to constantly be moving it or reaching around it. Be sure to place the freezer bowl on a flat surface in its upright position for even freezing. Generally, freezing time is between 16 and 24 hours. Shake the bowl to determine whether it is completely frozen. If you do not hear the liquid within the bowl moving, the cooling liquid is therefore frozen. For the most convenient frozen desserts and drinks, leave your freezer bowl in the freezer at all times. Use the bowl immediately after removing from the freezer. It will begin to quickly defrost once it has been removed from the freezer. Reminder, your freezer should be set to zero degrees Fahrenheit to ensure proper freezing of all foods. Here we go. Making frozen desserts. This is the important element to actually doing a recipe. There are seven steps. One, prepare recipe ingredients from pages that follow or from your own recipe, which we've done. Flip booklet over for Cuisinart recipes. If you use your own recipe, be sure it yields one and a half quarts or less. Two, remove the freezer bowl from the freezer. Place freezer bowl on the center of the base. Note, bowl will begin to defrost quickly once it has been removed from freezer. Use it immediately after removing from freezer. I think I've read these individual instructions so many times that I get nervous as soon as the freezer bowl comes out of the freezer. As if I have only like a minute to make ice cream. Three. Place mixing paddle in freezer bowl. It just rests in the center of the bowl, 
with the circle side facing up. 4. Place lid on base and rotate clockwise until tabs on lid lock in place on base. 5. Press on-off switch to on position. Freezer bowl will begin to turn. Now we're rolling. Immediately pour ingredients through ingredients spout. Note in bold. Ingredients must be added to the freezer bowl after unit is turned on. So in other words, you have to have that thing turning and going. 7. Frozen desserts will be done in less than 20 minutes. The time will depend on the recipe and volume of the dessert you are making. When the mixture has thickened to your liking, it is done. If you desire a firmer consistency, transfer the dessert to an airtight container and store in the freezer for two or more hours. Note. Do not store frozen desserts in the freezer bowl. Desserts will stick to the sides of the freezer bowl and may damage the bowl. Store only in a freezer-safe airtight container. And there is the basics that you need to know. Um, here is a quick section on adding ingredients. Ingredients, such as chips and nuts, should be added about five minutes before the recipe is complete. Once the dessert has begun to thicken, add the ingredients through the ingredients spout. Nuts and other ingredients should be no larger than a chocolate chip. So we followed the timing part of this instruction, but I would say that the Cinnamon Toast Crunch cereal was larger than the size of a chocolate chip, and that might have been why we had some problems with it, sort of clogging up the works. So I would recommend maybe crushing them a little bit if you want to try it, although, like I said, they did get a little soggy. Safety feature. The Cuisinart Automatic Frozen Yogurt Hyphen Ice Cream Ampersand Sorbet Maker is equipped with a safety feature that automatically stops the unit if the motor overheats. This may occur if the dessert is extremely thick. If the unit has been running for an excessively long period of time, or if added ingredients, nuts, etc., are in extremely large pieces. To reset the unit, put the on-off switch in the off position and unplug the unit. Let the unit cool off. After a few minutes, you may return the unit on again and continue making the dessert. So two points there. We never reached the emergency shutoff stage with our cinnamon toast crunch. It just got kind of cloggy. And that also the indication here is that you should wait a few minutes with the machine turned off and unplugged and then resume making the dessert, which to me says that you do definitely have an amount of time before 
the device is not cold enough anymore to make the wizard. And yes, there is cleaning, storage, and maintenance information here. Clean the freezer bowl. Most of it, I would argue, is common sense type stuff, and some of it we've already read about. But it does tell us mostly what not to do. Clean everything in warm, soapy water, but do not put freezer bowl in the dishwasher. Wipe motor base clean with damp cloth. Dry thoroughly. For storage, do not put freezer bowl in freezer if bowl is wet. So definitely if you've cleaned it and washed it, make sure that it's dry. Do not store lid, mixing paddle, or base in freezer. You would need a pretty large freezer, probably a chest freezer, to be able to store this entire appliance in the freezer in the first place. You may store the freezer bowl in the freezer for convenient immediate use. Do not store frozen desserts in the freezer bowl for more than 30 minutes at a time. Transfer frozen desserts to a freezer-safe, airtight container for longer storage in the freezer. And the final note here is maintenance. Any other servicing should be performed by an authorized service representative. All that remains then is the warranty information, which is for U.S. and Canada only, with a special addendum on California residents and information on returning the product. Um, I will leave you to explore this if this is something that is especially interesting to you. Um, and you can find the electronic version of this instruction manual on the Cuisinart website. If you can't find your own copy with the ice cream maker that you purchased, or if you do not yet have the ice cream maker or don't plan on getting it but are still interested in reading the instruction booklet, then you can simply go to the Cuisinart website. I would say Google it. It is the ICE-21 ice cream maker. So there we go with a couple of mini how-to segments on the subject of ice cream. Do you make ice cream? If so, what method or tools do you use? And what is your favorite ice cream? You don't have to make ice cream to answer that question. I think we'll leave it here for this episode. 
I hope you have been adequately rambled to rest and are not hearing what I am saying right now. However, if for some reason you are conscious at this time, I will leave you with these parting words. Literate Ocean Fabulous Psychedelic Approve Arrogant Heap Wren Chemical and Juice Thank you again. I am your host, Ryan. Music has been by Disparition. And we'll see you in the next episode.